0: All right. Welcome to DevCast. I'm Adam D'Angelo, and I'm joined with my by my co-host, John Janik. Hey, John.
1: Hey. Hey, Adam. Good. How are you?
0: I'm great. Uh, I'm really excited about today's DevCast because we have a pretty special guest on. We have Dr. David Bishop, founder of AgileWorks, who's written a book um, based off of a bunch of data-driven research he's done on how to improve agile implementations and transformations called Metagility. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit, you know, just diving right in, I mean, tell us a little bit about some of the research and how you started down this 10-year path of formulating Metagility.
2: Well, I've been in the technology business for about 25 years, and uh, I've worked in the telecom industry, transportation industry, utility industry, a number of different industries, both with uh, startups and and larger companies. And about 10 years ago, I started working uh, in a company that was doing industrial IoT development. And up until this time, I'd seen a number of companies undertake an agile transformation effort and not really get the results they wanted. Some were successful, some not so much. And this particular organization I was working with was uh, really struggling with this problem. To make a long story short, they brought in a number of consultants, highly paid consultants, lots of different consulting firms over a period of a few years, and tried three or four times with no success. And I thought, you know what, there's got to be a better way to do this. What are these very smart and intelligent and and experienced consultants doing wrong in this type of situation, whereas they may be successful in other situations. What's different and and how do we solve this kind of problem and and, and how do we figure out a better way to uh, experience more success with agile transformations? And so that, that got the wheels turning in my head to try and figure out how to solve this problem. I said, well, how am I going to go about it? I mean, so these consultants have had years of experience doing this sort of thing. What is it that they're not doing right? What's missing? And I figured out that what was missing was a research-based approach. You know, in in business, when we make business decisions, we often, you know, we we use our experience, we use uh, best practices, uh, we use tribal knowledge, whatever you call it, uh, to make business decisions. And that works most of the time. But I think when it comes to some of these really, really difficult situations like agile transformation, it it requires a stronger medicine. And I think that's where you have to go with a a research-based approach that's been, tested and developed uh, from a variety of different case studies uh, over a period of time uh, and has been developed through more of a scientific methodology, so to speak. And so that's what I set out to do over a 10-year period. I worked with this case study and a number of other case studies to apply more of a research-based scientific method of of solving this issue uh, through a qualitative case study, interpretive qualitative case study, to try and find these answers. Some companies not, didn't do so well, some companies did well, but there were a few companies that managed to take on what I call a super agile adaptation. And these companies managed to leverage agility in the most difficult contexts. And I'll, we could talk about some of what those contexts are, but they leveraged agility in the most difficult contexts to become number one in their market. And what, what Metagility attempts to do is to bottle what they were doing right and productize it so that other companies and organizations can achieve the same results by following this framework
0: very interesting and and i know that you know you mentioned metagility applies to you know pure agile um, waterfall or you you said the the best use case is kind of a hybrid approach so what are some of these techniques for you know transformation and getting towards this super agile adaptation that maybe some of our customers could learn from
2: well I spoke earlier about the most difficult context, and this is where agile transformations often fail. You know today it's not just about technology isn't just about software anymore it's about devices. Uh, you know twenty years ago when the manifesto came out, it was mostly about software and e-commerce and websites. that's where all the cool innovation was happening. but today it's more about devices you know your cell phone, smart cars, smart meters, smart everything, right and these smart devices are what we call embedded systems. They're composed of firmware, hardware, and software that are often developed by different teams on different tracks, sometimes by different companies, but at some point has to be tested and released as one cohesive product. And that's very hard to do in an agile way, especially if you're trying to take on a pure agile approach. And that was the mistake that that one of these case studies I mentioned earlier was making, is they they were in the industrial IoT business And then their consultants were trying to push them into a more of a pure agile adaptation, which just didn't work with this particular context, this context of embedded systems, where you have all these different moving parts uh, with a lot of interdependencies, often developed by different teams, very complex products. Uh, That was was where the problem was. And so uh, we found that uh, over a period of time, we started making different changes and adjustments to try and figure out Well, what's going to work right in this context? And and to figure it out that a hybrid agile implementation is what enabled this organization to become number one in the market. Because what we did is we figured out a way to adapt agile differently with the hardware teams, with the firmware teams, and with the software teams. And provided a a methodology for these teams to work together and communicate together by documenting the uh, interconnections and interactions that compose how they work. Uh, This technique allowed them to become number one in the market. Essentially, what it means is your software teams are going to adopt. Some of the characteristics include your software teams are going to maybe have a pure agile adaptation. They have maybe two-week sprints, and they'll have daily stand-ups. But your firmware teams move a little slower. They may have 30-day sprints, and they may not have a stand-up every day because there's so many interdependencies between them and the hardware teams. Uh, and, and then your hardware teams may still operate on more of a waterfall type of uh, framework, but they may have 12 to 18 month release cycles, but they're still going to use different techniques and methods to keep up with the other teams. They're going to have rapid prototyping to be able to provide tools for the other teams to test against, for the software and firmware teams to test against. They're also going to have uh, low budget projects under $50,000 that allows them to create a solution or a fix that will allow the other teams to keep working if they need to have a hardware test harness to work with. And that's just uh, just a few characteristics of what made that system work so well.
0: So that's interesting. So is Metagility maybe more of an enterprise-class solution where you might have dozens of development teams working on multiple aspects of a project or multiple different projects to get them to coordinate and work together? And or is it equally capable uh, to be a framework for, let's say, a a small startup of of four developers developing software for um, some investors? Where where does it work best?
2: Uh, I'd say it works uh, equally well in both. Hmm. And I don't say that because I'm biased. The reason I say that is because, well, first of all, the first case you mentioned, you're talking about scalability. And scalability is a really big issue in the Agile world, right? You hear that all the time, you know, scaled Agile. we got to have a scaled framework, right? And of course, as I described it, it's obviously a scaled framework. Uh, the, the Metagility goes into detail to talk about how with large distributed teams and very complex products, teams moving at different speeds, even developing different products that have to be worked together and developed together as one cohesive product, very difficult to do. And that can be done. And that is, you, as you say, more of an enterprise approach to uh, managing agility. But another, co- another part of Metagility is being able to, I talk a lot about agile vorticity in the book, which, uh, for example, the context that I'm talking about, even though it was a larger company, they were in a very new market. They were in a market where they were trying to grab up as much market share as possible, as soon as possible, because there were tons of competitors popping up at the same time. And some of these competitors were startups, they were competitors of all different sizes. Some were tiny startups, some were larger companies. This is in the industrial IoT market where you had you know, behemoths like GE and Toshiba, but then you had very small companies like Silver Springs or, or GridNet, for example, that most people haven't heard of. And so these were startups. All these companies were competing with each other to try and grab up as much market share as possible. And so Metagility provides a framework for how you can do that. How do you, try to, how, how do you develop a strategy and a vision to get your get very innovative products to market as quickly as possible with the most efficiency and the best quality uh, and the highest customer satisfaction. So if you grab up that early critical market share, that's going to give you longevity in the market. Because our studies also show that companies who grab that early critical market share are going to have the best chance for, for leadership and sustainability down the line. If they miss out early on, it's going to seriously impede them later. So there's a lot of conversation in the book about uh, competition and how agility and competition sort of uh, uh, market agility and process agility uh, play on each other to achieve this uh, vorticity in the marketplace that's going to allow you, whether you're a small company or a startup or a larger company with a new product line, how you're going to be able to
1: establish that market dominance. So when you're talking about that, right? when you're talking about the differences between, it seems like there's a there's an interesting discussion around uh, Metagility being able to provide interlocks for ambiguity and anticipation. Right, you're you're designing a system that is able to both be proactive and reactive at the same time. Does that sound right? Is that I mean, because that, that's one of the big problems with, with Agile is that, yes, you're iterating, but you're iterating out of your own activity. You're not ever really responding to what's happening outside of the process. How does Metagility kind of detail or understand some of those external factors and how they impact things?
2: Well, you know, one of the tenets of the manifesto uh, is uh, responding to change over following a plan. And in the book, I talk about how that's really changed over the past 20 years to responding to change while following a vision. In other words, we're not following this plan-based approach with like a 12- or 18-month roadmap with all these specific requirements. But uh, our case studies that were most successful, they still had a vision for where they wanted to go in the market. And as they worked and collaborated with their customers, which they brought in oftentimes as partners, and I can talk about that too, they, they made this strategic decisions on which customers they were going to work with and which customers they weren't going to work with. If they had customers that uh, they felt weren't going to take them down the right path according to the vision that they had set forth, then they decided not to work with those customers. And those were the right decisions to make because that eventually allowed them uh, to gain a lot of momentum in the marketplace. So you're responding to change. You're, you're being proactive, and but yes, you're also responding to that external change, but you're governing it. You're not responding to all the change out there. You're making very strategic decisions on what kind of change you're going to respond to and who you're going to listen to and work with. And that's very important because, you know, especially if you're a young company, the temptation is, well, I've just got to get as many customers as I can. And I'm trying to get as much business as I can. And I'm never going to turn a customer away. But uh, the, 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 our most successful case studies showed that they did make decisions to let some customers go or, or not pay attention to certain clients as much as others. And that was uh, turned out to be the right decision for them.
0: Switching gears slightly and going towards the topic of transformation, which is... On the minds of many folks down here inside the Beltway, right? We we don't work with a lot of product companies down here. We do a lot of work with the federal government. Um, many agencies and components have been undergoing agile transformation for a period of time, actually. So let me ask you a couple questions about transformation. Um, how do you transform an organization that doesn't really have um, a market influence? pushing it towards being faster, delivering more, and getting ahead of competition, right? It's the federal government. You know, obviously, they are trying to do the best work that they can do, but um, they're not, by nature, software development companies with, you know, shareholders, right? So, you know, how do they find value, you know, and how do they understand when they've achieved success going through an agile transformation?
2: First off, you have to do it one piece at a time. You start with one team at a time one project at a time and one program at a time. Start with a pilot and then that pilot becomes successful and that pilot becomes an example for the rest of the organization. So that's, that's how you start with an agile transformation with a large organization is one piece at a time. That's how to eat an elephant, right? Many people make the mistake of trying to force a transformation all at once throughout the entire organization. And that's a recipe for disaster for sure. So I always tell people to start with one team, at a time, one project at a time, and then if that project goes well, it turns out to be a really good pilot, move it into the entire program, and then move from one program to the next. To answer your question about uh, government organizations, every every organization has a customer of some kind, right? Uh, It may not be an external customer, but you have a client, right? There's someone who's using your products, using your software, and so in that respect, uh, of course, it may be Depending on the situation, it may be just one internal client or it may be several, uh, you know, depending on the context. But the truth is that you do have a customer. And uh, so the same mechanics really still apply, uh, even though it may move a a bit slower because it's the government and because, or maybe a little bit faster depending on, you know, the technology, the, the kind of innovation you're trying to do. Maybe you are trying to innovate with a really unique type of technology that's not really. Hit with industry very much. So, you know, like the space program, for example, is a good example of that. Uh, well, not today, maybe, but uh, years ago, that was the case. So you're always going to have a customer. And so I think the same mechanics apply.
0: How important is culture change and kind of having uh, a, top, a top-down champion um, to help make these shifts within the organization? You, know, you might have a number of developers on a team and a strong you know, product owner inside the government who says, hey, we understand Agile, we can do it, and, and they're able to do it. But to make this systemic shift across a very large distributed organization, do you think that you need a, an executive champion uh, to make these transformations successful?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think it's critical. Our case studies showed that if they didn't have that, then they didn't succeed uh, almost all the time. It's, uh, you know, Agile is not just a development methodology, it's a new way of doing business. And it requires fundamental changes from the top down as far as how you're running your business, how you're working with your customers and clients, how you're developing, how you're writing your contracts and and managing your projects. So it definitely requires executive support. And as a technology organization who's trying to get buy-in from their executive team, which is typically typically how this works, it's very important to build the right business case. And many technology leaders or managers, when they go to their their executive teams to try and sell them on this idea, they don't really quite know how to build a business case or build it correctly. Uh, And that's very important to know how to build a good agile transformation business case uh, to figure out what's going to, uh, you have to put it in terms of dollars and cents, how it's going to impact the bottom line. Uh, Many people get too caught up in, Oh, well, you know, Agile is a great way to help teams work together better and everyone's going to be happy. And uh, it's, uh, oh, it's just a a better way to work. It's going to improve quality and provide these incremental improvements. Well, that's all great and fine, but Agile is really about competition. You know, Agile is derived from lean manufacturing, which uh, is derived from uh, Edward Deming's work uh, and also the Toyota production system that was uh, published by those two Japanese researchers in 1979, which took Toyota from building tin can cars to being the premier automaker in the world pretty much. And so it's really all about that competition. And you have to put it, put the business case in terms of dollars and cents to get executive buy-in and executive support on any kind of agile transformation effort. And that's critical for, you know, getting everyone else in the company on board.
0: Yeah. I like that you went back to Deming's work and the, the, talk of lean manufacturing i think that's something that for many years in the conversation around agile was was sort of lost and only recently with some of the the great work coming out of the, the you know the devops community um i know the the devops research and assessment group dora um, founded by nicole forsgren jez humble and Gene kim have done a lot to bring bring that kind of data-driven results back to the software development uh life cycle right in their book Accelerate, they talk about the four key metrics that differentiate low, medium, and high performing software development organizations uh, being lead time, deployment frequency, uh, mean time to restore um, after a failure, and change fail percentage. So I love that we are getting back to thinking about data, thinking about um, everything that we are developing as software developers is kind of a, a critical component and part of that critical. Uh, that competitive landscape. Based off of those metrics the, the, that this, the, the DORA researchers found, um, how does that tie in or uh, differentiate from some of the research that you've done for Metagility over the years? Are, are, are those important metrics to show agile success?
2: Well, I, uh, I developed a, a new metric called Agile Vorticity that shows agile success. Uh, it actually measures how agile you are. You know, that's actually been the big question in the industry is, okay we're doing all this agile transformation but how do we know how successful we are how do we know how agile our organization is and if we need to become more agile how much more agile do we need to be you know what what are the markers for success and so this uh, the qualitative interpretive research interpretive qualitative research i did was also combined with a the grounded theory analysis which developed this concept of agile vorticity which answers that question and uh, there's a, a very long academic paper on it, but in the book I try to distill that down into and simplify it into into what it simply means, which is, you know, it measures uh market agility uh and also process agility. And uh where those two two uh two come together is the point of agile vorticity. And that's very important. That's a very big win in the industry to be able to provide a concept that can answer that question. And as far as metrics themselves, I think metrics are very important. You know, there's a lot of uh, Uh, conflict about metrics in the Agile world. Some people believe that you really shouldn't focus too much on metrics, or if you focus on certain metrics, then people will tend to game the system. Uh, I know a lot of friends uh, who are Agile consultants who, you know, are very funny about the kind of metrics that they focus on. Uh, And many of them, I would say the most popular metrics I see are the cumulative flow diagram, focusing on flow uh, as a way to gauge uh, how well the system is working. And I think that's a good chart to look at. But uh, agile vorticity is a a concept I'm really excited about because it answers that question of how agile are you. I think that's really important.
0: Well, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, to, to reading the book and reading a little bit more about agile vorticity. I think metrics are very important and not from uh, an agile practitioner's perspective, but more from a, a contractor in the federal space. You know, frequently we are asked, you know, by our customers. You know, what's the best way to figure out if our teams are performant, right? You know, I think the first metric everybody falls back to is velocity and looking at burn down charts. But typically, those kind of are are lacking for pretty much all the reasons you pointed out, right? Somebody starts gaming the system, or it doesn't really show the information you're hoping it to show, and 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 that's a problem, right? You know, we do need to be able to have a high trust relationship with our customers. And sometimes at the end of the sprint, it's not always clear if that was a successful sprint or, or not, right? So uh, more data, I think, is helpful for both the development side and for the folks procuring that development effort, right?
1: Absolutely. I would agree with that, certainly. But also, so it also has to be the right kind of data, right, Adam? And this is like a lean analytics, this concept of like, what's the, what's the one thing that you measure that's really important, that's really critical, that actually defines? You know, we had this conversation, I don't think it was on DevCasper, we had this conversation about the old school way of measuring, like, lines of code, right? Remember when they used to do that? and How many lines of code did you produce this week or or this month? And those kinds of things I, I don't think are really helpful, but the metrics of understanding, are we getting to where we need to be? This is really interesting to me. So definitely, David, I'm looking forward to reading more about the, you know, agile vorticity and understanding how, how does that data get c- collected and interpreted into some kind of assessment? You know, you, you also talk a lot about kind of this idea of a continuum, right? The fact that agile, true agile, and this is something I think we need to talk a lot more about in the government space, and we don't. It's way more than just the technology, folks. Right? It's it's the budgeting and the finance and the leadership. You know, it's it, We talk about transformation, but all too often, transformation is oh, just those people that sit in that corner of the office building or on those floors or in that building over there, and we don't worry about it because that's just the technologists. But the reality is, and and this is again, I think what you point out is that agile transformation. You know, when you look at private sector industries the companies that do it well and do it right yes they're doing technology but they're doing technology in pursuit of a business goal right they're doing technology in pursuit of a an effective valuable efficient business goal which gets back to all of that original research and work done by deming and the toyota way and all those other components and i think it's an important thing to to bring to the to the government conversation too because until congress gets its head wrapped around what Agile is and what it means and what Agile appropriations look like and Agile budgeting looks like and Agile deployment and development looks like, right? It's really tough to, to put a flag in the sand and declare an Agile transformation in government. So I'd be kind of curious what you've seen, you know, have you seen any, maybe the best way to ask it is as an anti-pattern, have you seen any instances in the private sector where folks have been successful without having a cohesive transformation strategy?
2: Uh, not too much. I mean, I think that uh, any kind of uh, transformation needs to be purposeful. You know, that's one of the problems with hybrid agile implementations. You know, hybrid agile implementations have a bad rap because when people think of hybrid agile, they often think of Scrum or Waggle or they think of a situation where someone has tried an agile transformation and just sort of backslid into whatever they felt like was comfortable and, or maybe an often, often, oftentimes maybe they did, really didn't have a cohesive plan and it just, they just sort of, uh, sort of said, well, we're going to take on this agile transformation effort. We're going to try it. We're going to see how it works and we're just going to play around with it and see what works for us. And they end up with this hybrid situation that maybe doesn't produce the kind of results they thought it would. And then they think, well, this agile thing just isn't any good or, uh, you know, hybrid agile is a, a, is a metaphor for a failed agile transformation. But the truth is the successful hybrid agile transformations were purposeful. Uh, they were purposeful. There was a certain methodology and technique. They, there, there were certain characteristics from agile and certain characteristics from waterfall that were used in these situations. Uh, and that specific combination or recipe, if you will, was, uh, what made it successful, and so I think I really do think you have to be purposeful in this, uh, in any kind of transformation effort to, to be successful. I mean, it's always a possibility that can occur by chance or,
1: or otherwise, but it, uh, I think uh, that doesn't happen very often. That's interesting, right? And I think it's a really good emphasis for the conversation today. There is no accidental transformation, right? You don't you don't just happenstance your way into agile, right, <laughs>
0: I've never seen it happen. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) So, Adam, what do you, what do you, so I guess, you know, between, between, you know, Adam, you've got a ton of experience in this field, right? And you've been doing agile your entire career um, and, but you've also been working in the governance space for the entire career. So what is meta agility, you know, when you start hearing these things that, that Dr. Bishop's talking about and kind of thinking through, you know, Hey, Purposeful hybridization, purposeful hybrid, uh, you know, agile, you know, agile plus other methods can work. It helps us be more reactive. It helps us be more value driven, more metrics driven. Like, what does that say speak to you as as a developer?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think as a developer, it, it, it sounds like it's probably the right answer in some cases, right? You know, I, I think the problem with some agile purists is they view the manifesto as a one size fits all you know, you adhere to these, these ideas and you will be agile and that's the only way to be agile. But that's not really what I've seen over the years. You know, I don't have 10 years of research, which I think is what's really fascinating about Dr. Bishop's work here is that, you know, he has data to back up his approach. And at the end of the day, it's a quantifiable approach, right? We can say that there are certain metrics to achieve success. So from the developer side of the house, um, I think it's a very exciting approach, right? Because I think there are those times where you are working with distributed teams or teams that are on a different cadence or have different um, quality standards to adhere to, whether it's for auditing purposes or you know maybe they are working on embedded systems and drivers get developed at a different pace. So coordinating all those things, understanding that waterfall may not be a bad solution, right? If you have a very well-defined project you're going to work on, well, what waterfall could make sense in some cases, right? But if you have a lot of uncertainty, in my mind, the closer to pure agile you can be, probably the better, right? So there is definitely room for a hybrid approach. So I'm excited to hear somebody out there talking about how successful that can be.
2: Well, you know, there was a researcher named Barlow, and I talk about this in my book, uh, a researcher named Barlow who developed a methodology for determining whether you should go pure agile or hybrid or water or stick with waterfall. And it really produced a little diagram, which I include in the book as well. And it's really a function of uh, team size, but also particularly your interdependencies, whether you have sequential interdependencies or reciprocal interdependencies and how many of those interdependencies you have. And that's very important. And uh, the more interdependencies you have and the more complicated those are, the more likely you are to uh, take more of a hybrid uh, approach as, as, as opposed to a pure approach to Agile. So that's very important. And also your team size is a factor as well. So obviously Agile, pure Agile works best with small co-located teams. That's what it was originally designed for. Not that it can't scale using certain techniques, but the bigger the teams are, the more likely you are, especially the more complex the teams are. And if, if they're working on different products, like embedded systems situations, the more likely it is that uh, you may have to take on a more hybrid approach as opposed to pure Agile.
0: Fantastic. I mean, I, I think that's a, a great place to, to wind down this conversation. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, for folks listening, uh, we, we're, we're joined by Dr. David Bishop, um, founder of AgileWorks and author of Metagility. Um, so once again, thanks, thanks for joining us, David.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, and remember, transform with purpose, and agile doesn't have to be pure to be successful. Uh, My two favorite takeaways from this conversation. Thank you, Dr. Vish. Thank you.